blue line leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, score! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Grubauer. And Zdorov oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello, everybody out there in Avalanche land, and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Time to get into the 4-0 beatdown of the Dallas Stars um, today versus the Colorado Avalanche. You know, just getting into a little bit of post-game here, another quick pod for you guys. So thanks for joining us. Of course, we're going to go over the game, look ahead to Vegas and uh, elsewhere around the NHL. But for starters, I'm J.J. Derez. With me, as always, Arif Dean. Arif, I wanted to get into, first off, it just obviously it was a good win for the Avalanche, but how much are you buying that it was a good win for the Avalanche more so than a bad loss for Dallas? Because let's not forget that in the three games Dallas has had since the restart, they've only managed to score three goals, and that was all in one game against Vegas. Yeah, so... Dallas has definitely not looked so good. And I remember back before the pause happened, the Stars were 2-6-2 and two in their last 10. And there was a lot of talk about how if there's any team that's happy that the pause had happened and the season was stopped in its tracks, it was the Dallas Stars. Well, coincidentally enough, the good teams have come out of this playing the same style of good play that they've been playing. And that's the Avalanche, that's the Flyers, that's the Hurricanes. And the bad teams have come out stumbling just as they were before the pause. It's weird how that happened. Everything just continued. Um, so, yes, I do think that Dallas sort of shot themselves in the foot. There was a lot of bad giveaways. They had 17 turnovers in that game, which is a number that can make any coach get really pissed off and angry at his team. Um, but I also got to give it to the Avalanche, man. They put the foot on the pedal uh, from the right from the onset. They... they put the stars away it seemed like as soon as they got that second goal it was game over there was no chance that they were going to come back from this game tough for the stars going in you know coming out of the round robin and likely going to end up zero and three right it's not going to do anything for their confidence and that's i think one thing that any round robin team was really trying to avoid obviously it's not that big of an issue because they still have a whole nother round to go once the actual playoffs start, but you are not riding high. You're not feeling good about their offense. And, you know, there's just so many question marks around that team that, you know, if you're the Dallas Stars, you are extremely worried about what's to come. Exactly. And that's the thing about this round, Robin, compared to the qualifier round. Um, I've heard this before. This is this is sort of something I've heard in the past when it comes to World Cups or Olympics, you know, for hockey, soccer, whatever it may be. I always hear people, there was I forget who it was, but somebody somebody said winning the bronze is always better than winning silver. Because in order to win the bronze, you're winning. In order to get the silver, you're losing. So mm -hmm. that kind of has the same effect in terms of this playoff format right now. So if Dallas goes out and loses their third game, they're going to be the higher seed going into the first round of the playoffs with an 0-3 record, zero motivation, zero confidence, 
playing against a team who's going to be 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th seed with all the confidence in the world, coming riding high, winning their series and ready to go. And that could very well be the Edmonton Oilers if they can pull out the series against Chicago. But it's sort of that same silver bronze mentality where Dallas is going to go into the playoffs if they come out the fourth seed, especially if they lose that last game and go 0-3, where they're going to have no confidence going to the playoffs against against a team that's got all the confidence, all the momentum, and you know can possibly perhaps upset them in the first round. Yeah, luckily for us, we don't have to worry too much about that because the Avalanche are buzzing, already 2-0 and in round robin, looking ahead at Vegas to maybe clinch this whole Western Conference round robin setup. But looking at the game today, just beforehand, we got word that the line combinations were going to be changed by Coach Bednar. Uh, you know, after the last game, he had mentioned about some certain players that he wasn't happy with. Now it kind of seems like we know who it was. Yeah, so Andre Burakovsky was flip-flopped with Vladislav Nemestikov between the first and the third line. So as you guys remember, there was a two-week training camp period. And after about the second day, if not in the second day, Andrei Burakovsky was added to that top line alongside McKinnon and Rantanen. And he's been there since. And he's looked good. I mean, I you know, I, again, I said it last week, the very typical journalist and media member thing to say about training camp is, oh, the team looks good. They got their legs under them. They look fresh. They look ready. Every team looks good in training camp. But Burakovsky truly looked like he fit on that line. Uh, and that's not to say that he doesn't fit on that line or Bednar isn't going to go back to it. But today, to send a message to Burakovsky, who Bednar said he talked to Burakovsky and told him that he played just okay. Uh, he flipped him down to the third line alongside Comfer and Donskoy and brought Nemestikov up to the first line which ended up paying dividends for both players uh, in a sense. Um, but again, speaks volumes to the depth this team has. It's no longer a team where it's one line and a Soderberg third or fourth line playing second line duties and you got Jostin, Kerfoot, and Comfort. Nobody knows if they're a second line or a third line or a fourth line. And now we're at, we're, we're at that point with the Avalanche where they have so much forward depth and they're just sort of stacked through their lineup that if somebody's not playing well, somebody else will take your spot. And the funny thing is you can flip those guys and have Nemestnikov on a line with McKinnon and Rantanen, and it makes sense. And then you look at your third line, and you have Donskoy and Burakovsky playing with Comfort at center, and that is just a completely new-look third line that's just loaded with talent. And again, I mean, Burakovsky was probably that one player that wasn't having his best game, and... Uh, if you're not going to play well, you're not going to play on the top line, and, and someone else is going to be there to take your job. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, is that they're very comparable players, so you know, good on the coaching staff to know exactly who to flip-flop and where, because you know I think it fit really well, and the line combinations obviously worked. Both Nemestikov and Burakovsky ended up with a goal tonight. Burakovsky's on the power play, but still, I think there's something to be said for you know that little fire that's lit under him when getting dropped off the first line and losing some playing time. He's got to make the most of the minutes he does get. And then Nemestikov, uh, you know, we talked about it when he was first acquired by the Avalanche. Just seeing that type of goal, that's exactly what he does. Is clean up the garbage around the net, find himself all alone. Somehow the defense lose him. He's in a quiet area and puts it home. So it's good to see that little spark um, from both of them, I guess. Of course, the game was opened by a goal from Makar also on the power play. But Kale Makar, exactly what we've talked about with him, how dangerous of a weapon he can be on that power play when he has a shot like his. I mean, he's got quite the bomb. It's pretty accurate. He knows where to put it. And that was just a, another beautiful snipe from Makar. I, I love seeing 
just hit him produce right out the gate like that. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, to go back to Nemestikov first, uh, he's now played 11 games with the Avalanche. He scored five goals. And if we remember back before the pause, way, way back in late February, early March, the Avalanche were decimated. And thankfully, they had just traded for Nemestikov. So because they pretty much had no other options except for him and some AHL guys, Nemestikov played on the top line and he played with McKinnon before McKinnon got hurt himself. And he scored a lot of goals. He had four in nine games, and now here's a fifth one uh, in two round-robin games. So Bednar was able to turn to that player knowing that, hey, he may be a second or third liner on a lot of teams, but he's also a scrappy player that has been a proven commodity in their short time with the Avalanche to be able to jump into that first line. Uh, Regarding your second point about Kale McCarr, I think the most fascinating thing about that player, what separates him from Tyson Berry, I mean... This year, the Avalanche's power play was 19th in the regular season. They have three power play goals on 10 opportunities so far in the round robin, uh, as well as a goal from Donskoy today, which came a second after a power play had expired. So technically, they've scored four on 10 opportunities. But going back to that comparison, Tyson Berry had this great chemistry with, with McKinnon because he had been doing it for so long. He'd played that point. He'd have McKinnon on one side, Ranton on the other, or Duchesne or whoever it may be. And he did a good job of collapsing the power play, moving side to side and dishing the puck off, kind of like what Gerard does. And when you need him to put the puck on net, he'll snap the puck on net. Makar doesn't necessarily do that. Makar's goal is to always get the puck on target And for whatever reason, he finds a way to get it through. And that's the most important thing. I remember when the Avalanche first traded for Eric Johnson, he was supposed to be this guy that could be a power play specialist. He had that 39-point year in St. Louis. He had a 39-point year in in 2014. And then that very next year in 2015, he was scoring goals and leading the league in goals from defensemen before getting injured. But the biggest knock on Johnson always was he's got this hard shot. He could be a power play quarterback, but he couldn't get the damn puck through. It was always stopped and always blocked. Makar gets it through, and that's probably the best asset that he brings to that power play. Yeah, that's big credit to his hockey sense, right? It's not that he's trying to score the goal, but he's just placing them perfectly to where you know the, either the people in front are screening enough and it's getting through. It's not exactly an amazing shot, but it's that hockey sense that's really putting him above and beyond. And you know, at first, your initial reaction is, "Oh man, his his ability to score is underrated." But just like you're saying, it's not necessarily his intent to bury it. He's just trying to get it through put it in a good spot and it's really his hockey sense that's coming through I mean in 57 games this year he's got 50 points so he he knows how to create offense only 12 goals and I think a ton of those were on the power play so that's just a knack that he has but it's crazy to me that you know by the end of these playoffs there's a good chance he'll, he'll if they go all the way that is He'll end up with 30 playoff games and only 57 regular season games that's such a, a crazy. crazy ratio yeah. to me yeah I remember uh that always reminds me of one of the weirdest statistics I've ever seen is Brett Hull pl- had an 18-year NHL career but played 19 years in the playoffs because his team always made the playoffs, but he also did what McCarr did and started the year before. It ended up unfortunately canceling out because that year coming out of the lockout, he signed with, of all teams, the Phoenix Coyotes and played seven games with them. So it ended up being 19 playoff years and 19 postseason years, but or uh, regular season years. But it's so it's one of those funny statistics that could possibly happen to Makar because of the situation he was put in, you know, assuming the Avalanche could go on a two-decade run of making the playoffs. Yeah, just great to see him producing the offense, you know, 
that we kind of been talking about. That's, that's kind of the way this podcast has been going the last couple of days. Things that we're talking about a podcast before are coming to fruition. Um, I think I've got another example of that down the road. But for now, I want to get into the Donskoy goal. Uh, of course, that was kind of generated off of momentum that was set up from the Tyler Sagan penalty that was drawn by Miko Rantanen. And I, yep. before we get into Donskoy, we touched on it slightly on Monday on our podcast reviewing the Blues game. But I want to get into Miko Rantanen because there's something more going on to his game that he just seems so snake bitten. He seems just not confident in himself and you know we even saw him tonight miss a wide open one-timer something very uncharacteristic of Miko Rantanen yeah so I don't know if it's injury related or if it's the fact that once you get you know knocked off your groove it's hard to get back into it even with a four-month pause it just might be one of those seasons where he needs a he, he needs a break and he needs it to be a wash and to start fresh now he played the first nine games of the year before his first injury this season, and he had 12 points. He came back from his injury after missing, I think, 16 games, and he came back, and that first game back was the 9-4 to game against Nashville, and he had four points in that game, two goals, and played only 12 minutes. So at that point of the season, he had 16 points in 10 games. Since then, he's had 25 in... 32 games in the regular season and now one in two games in the playoffs so he's got basically 26 points in 34 games which you know is not a bad number but for a player who was operating at over a point per game who a year and a half ago was leading the nhl in points and was basically dominating with mckinnon uh it is a little bit of a concern for him especially considering he just signed a nine uh, a six-year deal where he's making 9.25 million a year i don't know what it is it could be injury-related, but I find that hard to believe because he's been on the sidelines like everybody else for the last four months, resting and recovering. But I feel like right now it's a, it's a confidence thing. We talked about this you know, in a, in a past episode where Rantanen is that guy that's always smiling, always happy in the locker room, joking, and he seemed to lose that as the season went on. Um, thankfully for the Avalanche, because of all this depth they picked up in the offseason and at the deadline— they're able to carry him and you know bring him through that, but something is off, and I just can't really put, I, I can't really figure out exactly what it is. Yeah, he's got to get that monkey off his back before this round robin is over, because you can't have him going in the playoffs with this kind of confidence. I mean, what drew that penalty was yeah, a, a nice two-on-one opportunity that he had, and instead of walking into the net that he had an open lane for and shooting the puck, he tried to cut across the middle and give it to whoever was skating with him and in the meantime got tripped by Tyler Sagan, which is just, I think, again, uncharacteristic of Miko Ranton. And I feel like usually he's walking in there and he's itching to shoot that, itching to beat the goalie glove high. So, um, yeah, just got to gotta get one, I think, to uh, break that slump. But, again, going back to the Donskoy goal, that's two goals out of Donskoy in three games. I mean, I think he's playing phenomenal, and we touched on a couple podcasts ago just the importance of that third-line scoring. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the guy that you need in the playoffs. It's players like Donskoy. He did it for the Sharks last year. He did it against the Avalanche. It's guys like him. It's guys like Matt Calvert who are going to step up and be a difference. It's those depth players that are not your top six but you can still turn to to score goals. And to have him doing that from the start is great for two reasons. Number one, it's going to give him all the confidence in the world to take off once the playoffs begin in literally six days, which is crazy. Number two, we talked about this in a previous episode. Don Square didn't have a good end to a season. Obviously, after getting that 
after getting injured in that game against the New York Rangers where he got hit by the defenseman uh, Lindgren, yep. I forget. Ryan Wasn't Lindgren. Brennan Lemieux? I think it was Ryan Lindgren, the guy that Kadri pummeled after <laughs> after he oh, hit yeah, Donskoy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Ryan Lindgren hit him. He got hit. Uh, he, he, he was out. He missed a bunch of games. He eventually came back. Regardless, he had five points in his last 25 games. Um, so this is good for him personally to get that monkey off of his back like we were talking about Rantanen. But at the same time, it's going to give him all the confidence and motivation that he needs to, to, to take off next week when the games matter a lot more than they do right now. It was funny, too, because that was the second goal of the game. The first one, we saw Kale McCarr's clap bomb from the blue line. The second goal was created off of Sam Girard with the puck from the blue line. Gets his little wrist shot on net, not hard. This is exactly what he does. we've been talking about. 30 to 40 assists, give him one or two goals a year, but give him 30 to 40 assists, making plays like that. It was just funny to me that those are two things we've been talking about. McCarr on the point and... Um, Gerard getting a little bit of uh, more aggressive from the point too, and and just making things happen a little bit different style, but still doing just as much uh, effective work as as Kale McCarr. Um, so yeah, I just love the rebound goal by Donskoy. Love how it kind of all happened, and again, just our podcast things we're talking about are are coming to life right in front of our eyes. It's like it's the team we cover and watch every day. It's crazy, right? <laughs> Uh, of course, we saw the Vlad, but we talked about the Vladislav Nemestikov goal a little bit. Just love the, uh, the garbage that he's picking up, the quiet areas. Um, anything else you want to add just about Vlad Nemestikov's game today? The best thing that I can add about Nemestikov, um, I mean, it's not something I've already said. He's He's a secret weapon. He's someone that people don't necessarily talk much about when they mention the Avalanche, and that's because he hasn't been here long. He's the reason why Tyson Jost is not playing, rightfully or wrongfully. He's a player that ultimately on the depth chart slots in on the third line. But when you need him up on that top unit, he can be on that top unit. He suddenly has been slipped into that second power play unit ahead of JT Comfer. If the Avalanche need a wake-up call, they can bring him onto the top power play unit. He's this guy that nobody even remembers was a part of the Avalanche, who's suddenly an added weapon, who very quickly might prove to be better than Nichushkin in terms of offensive production. So... All of this depth that the Avalanche have had that we've been talking about all year, suddenly there's this new guy who's only played 11 meaningful games with the team, has scored five goals, and adds even more to that. And it's just, it's crazy to think about that because, quite frankly, the Avalanche didn't really need to do many moves or or make many trades during the deadline, other than the fact that they were decimated with injuries. They didn't really need to add much to this team. This team was buzzing and rolling and not much was needed, but they added the perfect guy and they got him for cheap and and he's he's probably going to be a difference maker too so i take it you like him on the top line and are okay with what he did today i very do, much do am. you yes do i you I, foresee I, him staying there i i do i mean i don't see a reason why not uh and that's that's not a knock on burakovsky but that's basically let's let's ride the hot hand and I know it was four months ago, but he is the hot hand right now. He's scoring a lot of goals. Burakovsky's been was injured before the break. Um, Burakovsky and Donskoy have a lot of uh, chemistry playing together on those on those flanks on you know between Kadri or McKinnon or now Comfer earlier in the season. Burakovsky's still your top power play guy, but I like it. Nemestikov is hot. Let it ride. That's a good point. I do like the Burakovsky Donskoy combo because it has proven to be pretty good in the past. And Nemestikov's just kind of, you know, that great addition to kind of fill that 
empty role, I guess, on the first line since Gabe Landeskog was moved to the second. So I like the way you think about that there. And, you know, Nemestikov's goal came late in the second period, and that's kind of wanted to get into next was the second periods. I mean, I feel like the last two games, both against St. Louis and the Dallas Stars, the second period was very ineffective for the Avalanche. It's not that they played bad, but they just don't seem to have the same tempo the same threatening scoring opportunities and just the same effectiveness that you see, especially in the first period and the third period from both games. So I definitely get that, but I'm going to play devil's advocate and look at it from another point of view. They're not allowing any opportunities either. Dallas today had quite a little bit. They had a, So the Avalanche were leading in shots for a majority of the beginning of the game. Suddenly, in the second period, Dallas started to find their legs and they took a 21-20 to 20 shot advantage. Over the next 14 minutes of play, from that late second period into the early third period, the Avalanche went on a 14-1 to run in shots, scored two goals, and made the score 4 to nothing. Against St. Louis Blues, the Avalanche weren't really getting much, I know, but they were keeping St. Louis from scoring as well. The Blues had a couple of opportunities on Grubauer in the second period. They were able to sort of add to that lead. Grubauer held the fort down when when it was needed, but Colorado is finding a way to not surrender much. And I know it's easy to say considering they've only allowed one goal in two games, and it was the very first goal in the first period of the first game. Um, but now you're looking at five periods of no goals against. They're able to slow the game down in the second period, and then when they need to attack, they attack, they tie the game, they get the lead against St. Louis. Or for this game... They double their lead and basically put the game away and you know send send Dallas on their way with a shutout loss. Uh, so I do agree that they maybe aren't getting as much done, and that could come back to bite them if you need a big second period. But as long as you're not l- surrendering any goals in that period, I don't necessarily mind them not scoring. Because this year the Avalanche have been a good starter, and they've always scored a lot of goals in the first period. And lately, they've sort of cleaned up their act in the third period compared to where they were in December and January, you know, losing those late games. Thankfully, there's no more Pepsi Center games for them because they were blowing a lot of third period leads at the Pepsi Center. So if you're keeping the other team off the score sheet in the second, then win the game in the first and the third and you're good. Well, luckily they had Pavel Francouz back there because I would say the second period is really kind of where he got a brunt of his work. He made a couple big saves. Um, he did. I wouldn't say anything too challenging. I mean, just a, a few big breakaway stops. But let's get into Francouz's game. I mean, he had his first career, I guess, quote-unquote, playoff game, and it ends in a shutout. Obviously what you want to see out of your goaltender, but, you know, he's doing his job and ultimately making the – decision kind of difficult on Jared Bednar on which goalie to ride yeah and that's it seems to be the pattern all season long where Grubauer comes in and plays a great game and then Francis comes in and plays an exceptional game Grubauer wants to have a 920 save percentage Francis is going to give you a 930 Grubauer wants to surrender one goal Francis will surrender no (laughs) goals and it seems to always be that guy breathing down Grubauer's neck looking from behind him saying you better get your shit together because I'm waiting and I'm waiting for my opportunity I thought it was interesting today in the post-game conference when he kind of said, you know, I'm used to being nervous before games. And that was, I was, that was, I was worried because for some reason today I wasn't nervous. Well, that's, that's, a play, that's a player that knows that he's figured out this league and he's old enough and mature enough to know that I got what it takes and I'm not going to get the jitters anymore. I'm going to go out there and do what I do and just, you know, ho-hum, post another shutout. 
I also wonder how much of that is because of just the fact that they're in this bubble. It's a different atmosphere, probably a lot more playful, a lot more relaxed, and you're just having fun with the boys. You're not going through your routine. You don't have much time to get in your own head, you know, when you're at, so, at, at home by yourself, eating your breakfast, just taking too much time to think. He's probably around all the guys, just keeping his mind off the game and ultimately, you know, keeping the stress out of his, out of his chest. Yeah, I mean, this entire bubble is a is a glorified multi-million dollar youth hockey tournament. That's ultimately what it is. It's it's all these guys spending time together thinking about hockey round the clock to the point where there's only so much you can give to the sport in terms of having those jitters and feels because you don't get to get away from it as much. It's a lot easier. It's a smoother transition. There's no more you're at home and you get ready for a game and then you get to the game and then you have to be in the zone. You're in the zone, literally locked in a zone <laughs> for this next two months. You know, Hopefully if they go on a long run where that's all you have on your mind, it's easier to just sort of play, it, play through it and not be as nervous. Another moment I really thought stood out from the post-game presser, actually I guess it's two moments combined into one, was a quote from Pavel Francouz where he says, it's a pleasure to play behind this team. And then a few seconds later, you hear Vladislav Domestikov say, it's an honor to play with these guys. Hmm. I mean, when you're hearing your teammates speak about the rest of the team that way, that just shows you how special this team really is, that even the guys within the, the, the team are talking about how great it really is. I mean... There isn't much to be said about this roster that Sackick's put together that has not already been said. When the Avalanche were a bottom feeder in 2017, you know, without mentioning names, we all know who it was, but he removed the guys that didn't want to be here and he kept the guys that straight up said, aka Landeskog, I want to be part of the solution. And he went out and he added all these guys and he brought this team around him. He brought in a coach, you know, Obviously, he was already there, but he stuck with the coach that he knew could lead this team. And now you have a team who is not like the St. Louis Blues looking at their last chance of winning. I mean, they obviously won last year, but their last kick at the can with this current squad because the Blues have some salary cap implications and issues going on this summer uh, like a lot of teams do. This is the beginning of what's to come for the next four, five, six, seven years. McKinnon with Landeskog, with Rantanen, with Makar, with Gerard, with either one of Grubauer or Fransuz, with uh, Burakovsky, with all these guys. Donskoy is under contract for three more years. This is the beginning of what's to come for the next half a decade minimum. Uh, and that's crazy to see because they're already this tight-knit of a group. And a guy like Nemesnikov can come in in February, play 11 games, and already feel honored to be a part of this group. What the hell kind of chemistry are they going to build over the next 5 to 10 years? It takes you back to those Avalanche teams between 96 and 03, or 02 specifically, that made it to the conference finals every year except for one year that you know ultimately was the same group for the most part. I just think it's it's kind of rare to have a player recognize greatness while he's in it. Typically you see players looking back and be like, wow, yeah, that was a really great that team. That was, yeah. To, to have guys drop words like it's an honor and it's a pleasure to play with this team right now. I mean, we've heard it since phase one. The, the self-belief in this team is through the roof, but that's something extra, I feel. That's more than just like, yeah, we think we're a good team. We believe in ourselves. It's a pleasure and it's an honor to play with this team. I think that speaks volumes about just the confidence and the the camaraderie within the locker room. 
And it's a pleasure and an honor to move to Colorado in year one of what seems like the next five to ten years of them being a contender. Because the stories that these players are going to give us for the next five or so years, for the you know next decade, are 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 going to be exciting, fun, great historical and memorable stories that we're going to read about and write about and talk about on this podcast for years to come. Uh, and it's because of the team that they have and what they've built and the chemistry they have within that locker room. It's really a special moment. And uh, this is obviously a conversation we can go into more in the summer when they're possibly coming off of a long Stanley Cup run or possibly a championship. But ultimately, this team is special and they are going to be for the next few years. Absolutely. And, you know, it's probably a good time to buy into that self-belief and maybe start to pump some money into DraftKings and some futures bets because this team is showing a lot of promise. We hear people all over the league pumping the tires, expecting the Avalanche to be in the finals. But first, before you bet on the Avalanche, you got to put money into DraftKings, right? The long wait is finally over. It's not just hockey you could bet on, but golf's first major of the year is this weekend. The golfers are heading to San Francisco to tee off and compete for the crown. And there's no better way to join the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To celebrate golf's first major of the year, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering special odds and promotions all weekend long, and all new users get a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. They're just giving away money left and right, people. Every day of the tournament, DraftKings Sportsbook is boosting your profits by 30%. All you have to do is opt in and place the bet. Head to the app right now and check out all they have to offer, including player props, day-by-day action, and even live hole-by-hole betting. As football season is clear in our sites, DraftKings Sportsbook has rolled out a season-long football pick'em pool with $2 million in prizes up for grabs. Make your picks and watch the games unfold. Plus, DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, and reliable especially when compared to most betting sites and apps. So you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out with a sign-up bonus of $1,000. Just enter the promo code MHS for Mile High Sports when you sign up only at DraftKings Sportsbook. You must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. I wanted to do another segment where we make some more picks, but considering how hard I fell on my face the last time I did that, And honestly, my picks lately have been just below 50%. So I'm going to save your money. But I know, Arif, you've been crushing it at bets. You've been sharing sharing them with me every single night. So why don't you give us a nice little NHL pick for our our listeners to, you know, throw some money on DraftKings. So I'm going to go into tomorrow and Friday or sorry, Thursday, August 6th. And the two games that pique my interest are the Blue Jackets and Maple Leafs game, as well as the Flames and Jets. Now, the Flames and Jets has been a back-and-forth series, but as the series has gone along, the Jets have become decimated with injuries. They lost Patrick Laine. They lost Mark Scheifele. They won a game after doing that, but then they got completely hammered by the Flames. I think tomorrow, that 8.30 Mountain Time start, the Flames are going to end it in four, so I'd take the Flames for the money line, 
and the Maple Leafs and Blue Jackets. This may come as a surprise with the Jake Muzzin injury, but I think Toronto is pissed and they want to take a 2-1 to series lead and they're going to come out after shutting out the Blue Jackets and win that next game. So if you ask me, maybe it's a Canadian bias in me. Give me Calgary, give me Toronto. Obviously, Winnipeg is also in Canada, but who cares? This may be a good thing. This may be a bad thing. Take it as you will, but I agree with that. I think Toronto's going to wake up. I think they've kind of come to after losing game one and saying we are not they, this bad. They they could have been up 6 to nothing after the first period against the Columbus Blue Jackets in game two. It was Giannis Carposalo was the only reason why that game was not like that and losing jake muzzin at the fight you know right before the final buzzer with a minute left was really hard and it was a very very hard uh scene to watch because of the empty arena you can sort of hear the paramedics entering the ice and skating toward him and you know the the clings and clangs of the of their equipment and the stretcher and all that it was a very very unique surreal moment um but i don't think it's going to bring the maple leafs down they're going to plug in martin marinchin they're going to have tyson berry on that third or second pair now and they're going to go all in and i think they're going to take a two to one series lead so give me the maple leafs yep. for sure and sometimes moments like that can light a fire under a team so for sure moving on looking ahead to saturday when the avalanche have the opportunity to clinch the Western Conference and take the number one seed of the round robin, and that's in their matchup against the Vegas Golden Knights. Again, that's Saturday. Still don't have a time yet for it, which I think is a little strange considering the proximity. You know, it's only two days away. We don't know when it's going to be. Um, but like I've mentioned the last three podcasts, I'm going to mention again here for the Vegas Golden Knights preview. Great goaltending scares me. And... Thankfully today, Ben Bishop wasn't able to jump in in the game against the Stars and kind of steal that one like he's been known to do. But there's a good chance Marc-Andre Fleury's in net for that one, and he's been known to stop the Avs, and not only him, or not only the Avs, but the entire NHL. I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury's a great goalie. How much are you worried about the uh, goaltending matchup here for Colorado? I'm not too worried about it, and that's because of the team that the Avalanche have this year. Uh, this is the first time in a long time, uh, and we've said this before, where it doesn't matter who the Avalanche are playing and who's in net, I don't find it to be an issue. Once upon a time, the Avalanche always lost to Dubnik in Minnesota. Suddenly, they light him up for seven goals every time they play. Pecorine's got like a 104 record against the Avalanche, and those four losses are, four losses are probably the last four games he's played against Colorado, so... I'm not too caught up over it. I do think that Vegas has a little bit of issues within their team in terms of just their full uh, five-man unit and playing defense, you know, up front, and uh, that's why they, uh, you know, that's why they 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 had to ultimately come back late in the game against Dallas. But you know, it took them a while to find their legs. Robin Leonard still let in three goals, so I'm not necessarily too worried about it. But it's it's hard to be worried and not be confident when you're. Uh, talking about a team that has scored now six goals and surrendered one in two games. Yeah, I mean, they're a high-scoring team. They've, they've been scoring a lot since the restart. I mean, we've only seen their exhibition in one game since we are recording here on Wednesday. They play Thursday. So I think all eyes are going to be on that Blues matchup for real scouting and seeing how you know Vegas really is coming to play so far in the Red Robin. But I think they, they got the ability to score. And not to mention, since they changed coaches – They've been on a tear. I think they ended the season under Pete DeBoer 15-5-2. They've only won two games since then, yeah. so that puts them at 17-5-2. They're a dangerous team and nothing to look past. So um, obviously it's a big game for the Avalanches. They want this one. They don't need it. 
but it's I think this is going to be perhaps the most exciting game just because of the offensive firepower on both sides. Yeah, and I mean, I even made that prediction where I said uh, the standings would go Colorado, Vegas, St. Louis, Dallas, just because it seemed like Dallas was the team that came into this sort of hurting and not really... Uh, not really playing their best hockey before the pause and there's not much to really be confident about in terms of that team compared to Colorado, St. Louis, and Vegas. And then the reason why I took Vegas is because like the Avalanche, they just have this chip on their shoulder. They're a young team. They're a young franchise and they've been to the finals already, but they're always going full steam ahead. And Colorado's this new, young, you know, hot team on the block that's also going full steam ahead. And it felt like that would drop St. Louis to third. And that very well could happen depending on what, you know, the results are tomorrow and then heading into that game Saturday. Absolutely. And looking elsewhere around the NHL, um, you know, New York was just eliminated. They're the first team eliminated. People were kind of expect Yeah, people were expecting that to be one of the best series and one of the ones to really watch and expecting that to go to five games. So just wanted to get into a quick conversation. Who do you think was, you know, more wronged in their assessment? Was Carolina underrated or do you think the Rangers were more overrated in this scenario? <sighs> That's a hard one. The Rangers were overrated, but Carolina was way underrated. Dude, that team is stacked. I know Mrazek and Reimer aren't exactly the goalies that you look at and say, these are going to lead you to a Stanley Cup, but Sebastian Ajo is coming into his own. He had three goals and five assists in those three games. They have Tevo, Tevo Teravainen. Andrei Svechnikov scored a hat-trick, and he's becoming a beast. He's only 20, maybe 21 years old. They added Vinny Trocek. They still have Jordan Stahl. Jacob Slavin is like easily the 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 biggest defensive gem in this league and he's a Colorado kid he's to me the most underrated defenseman in the NHL they are stacked from top to bottom and they've done all of this without their Norris Trophy potential or what should have been a Norris Trophy candidate defenseman in Dougie Hamilton who was injured back in January who's probably going to be back for the playoffs this team is really good and people are not giving them the credit that they deserve yeah, you talked about teams with a chip on their shoulder. I think Carolina is definitely one, right one there. just because of how many people were looking past and expecting the Rangers to come out. Sad way for the Rangers to go out, mainly just because of Henrik Lundqvist. But I think overall the Rangers aren't necessarily a very loved team across the league yeah. and across the fan bases. So there's, screw them. There, there, there's a lot of good things to say about the Rangers. I mean, for starters, Carolina, to touch back on them, they went heavy on the deadline too. They added Brady Shea and Sammy Vatanen. Both those defensemen are healthy now. Uh, Dougie Hamilton jumping into that group as well is going to give them with Brett Pessy and Slavin. They're going to be stacked from top to bottom on the defensive unit. And obviously they added Trocek. But the Rangers, the reason why they've become kind of this lovable team is because they did that ballsy thing that no franchise really wants to ever do, but they did it and they did it properly. Three years ago, they sent out that letter to their fan base, to their uh, season ticket holders and said, it's going to suck for a couple of years, but we're going to go into a rebuild. Fast forward a few years, they were able to steal Adam Fox from Carolina for a couple of draft picks because Fox wouldn't sign there. They won the Panarin sweepstakes. They won that Capo Caco draft pick. They have Tony D'Angelo and Brendan Lemieux and all these other young guys that have come into their own. Sabanajad has taken off uh, scoring the most goals per game this season with 41 in only 57 games. They have Chris Kreider who decided to stick around. They are just a very well-rounded team. They have two great goalies aside from Henrik Lundqvist, which is crazy to think about. So they've become the team that has done it the right way. 
and I think that what I like most about them and the way that they've handled their rebuild, uh, not to you know talk too much about the Rangers, is when it came time for the Panarin signing, they knew that they weren't you know necessarily a team that was ready to win the cup. So why spend a lot of money on Panarin? Well, their GM and their ownership's reasoning for that was when we're ready to battle for the cup, Panarin won't be available on the free agent market. So why not bring him in now and let him grow with the team? And that's exactly what he's doing. He's a he's a Hart Trophy and a Ted Lindsay Trophy finalist alongside McKinnon and Dreisaitl for both awards. And uh, they, they just look great. And it's, it's, it's sad to see because it feels like this is going to be the end of the Lundqvist era in New York just as they're getting good. Um, but hey, you never know. Maybe Lundqvist signs a one-year deal in Colorado and wins the Stanley Cup. You never know. I don't know how I feel about that. But... <laughs> Um, yeah, no secret. Panarin definitely wanted to go to a big city. Well, what bigger city than New York? So why not bring him and make him a key piece to that rebuild? And obviously the rebuild's moving quicker than we thought, but no other series across the board is going to end in a sweep. Um, so obviously that leads to a ton of excitement, a lot of buzz around all the other games so far in all the other, um, series and everything like that. Who's impressed you the most? And along with that, Who's disappointed you the most so far in the NHL restart? Even though they won game three, my biggest disappointment is the Florida Panthers. And I say that because I know we knew going into this that they just they didn't have their legs under them. Something about that team is lacking. And we thought bringing in Joel Quinville and then eventually Sergei Bobrovsky would fix that. They almost even brought in Panarin with those two as well. Um but for whatever reason, that team cannot get over the hump. Then they became de- uh, sellers at the deadline. They traded Trocheck and they started to unload some money. And then they come into this thing. They play their exhibition game. They get stomped by Tampa Bay 5 to nothing, And then they lose the first two games against the Islanders. And they just barely scrape out a win yesterday on Tuesday to make it a 2-1 to series. Regardless of all of that, for a team that brought in a coach like uh, Quinville, for a team that brought in a goaltender like Bobrovsky, and for a team that has Barkov and Huberto, which are two great players, and Ekblad and all this other talent, it's just not cutting it. Um, so they're my biggest disappointment. I think they're going to be done in four. My biggest disappointment, along with you, I'm choosing a team rather than a player, and that's the Winnipeg Jets for all the same reasons. I mean, I think they have so much talent and so much potential to really grow to be a good team and to come out and just suck like they did all season long and all, you know, like they have so far against Calgary probably. It's you know, it's hard it's, it's hard to blame Winnipeg uh, for, you know, falling on their faces the, the way they kind of did this season. And it's because they pretty much lost their entire defensive core last year. Dustin Bufflin left. They traded Truba. Uh, Myers left in free agency. And Ben Sherratt left in free agency. They lost four of their top six defensemen. The only one that stuck around were uh, Josh Morrissey, and I'm missing one more. Um, Dmitry Kulikov, who's not even much of a defenseman anymore. So... They knew going into the season that they were going to be in for, for, for a long ride considering all the defensemen that they lost. Uh, but Hellebuck held their own and, and, and kept him in it. And that's why he's going to win the Vezina. But I expected more from them. I mean, I took them over the flames. But now I just, you know, in our little gambling uh, picks a couple minutes ago, I picked Calgary to end it in four. And that's because aside from all of this stuff and aside from Calgary having a chip on their shoulder, they lost Shifley. They lost Line 8. It just seems like a lot for them to overcome. And it's just not going to happen this year. Absolutely. And uh, go along with who's impressed you so far? Uh, this one, I mean, the easy choice is Montreal. 
<laughs> and uh, that's because they came out and they beat Pittsburgh in game one. Obviously, game two, Pittsburgh was the better team. And I mean, they're the better team in general. Uh, but here we are, game three on Wednesday. Pittsburgh had a three to one series, uh, three to one lead in the second period, midway through it. Montreal came back and scored three goals, won it in regulation. I don't know if it's necessarily Montreal that impressed me as much as it was Matt Murray that kind of fell flat on his face. And maybe you turn to Tristan Jari if you're the Penguins, who are obviously on the brink of elimination. But as the 12th seed and a team that, let's face it, sucked this season and had no business even being a part of the tournament, they might push the Penguins out of the playoffs and straight into the hands of Alexis Lafreniere uh, in a couple days from now because they have a 2-1 to series lead and the Penguins are on the brink now. I'm going to go down that same road you went, but take a left when you, where you went right. I'm not as impressed with the Montreal Canadiens as I am with Carey Price. We knew he was a great goalie, but things we've yep. seen from him for the last couple years kind of signified that he's been on the decline. I didn't expect him to come out and have such a strong playoffs like he's had so far, but he's been beyond impressive and, and you know, almost single-handedly, in my opinion, stealing that series for Montreal. For sure. And, and losing me money. You and me both, my man. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you're if you're Matt Murray and you're going up against Carey Price, you got to give a much better effort than you did in that game. Uh, I really do think the Penguins will turn to Tristan Jari, who has been the better goalie this year for them. Uh, but I'm going to take a turn from that conference to the other conference in terms of that same five versus twelve. We got to hand it to the Chicago Blackhawks and the Edmonton Oilers. This has been the funnest series I have seen in a long time, and I'm so sad it's only going to be five games. Right now, they're in the middle of game three, halfway through the second period, tied two to two. Every game goes over if you need more tips on gambling. Uh, every game has 10 goals. McDavid or Dreisaitl or Patrick Kane or Jonathan Taves are in on every single goal. It is just a lot of fun, and it is good hockey to watch. Well, like you said, it's the middle of the second period of game three which is the middle of the series and it's tied 2-2 and the series is tied 1-1 so you're you're halfway enjoy the second half while you still can because there's still a a great second half if this thing goes to five games which it it looks like you know it's going to but other than that you know i think that's all we've got for today we're of course going to come back on what is it maybe saturday or sunday either way we're going to recap the vegas night game depending on what time that game's actually played if they ever announce it um but of course thank you for joining us on this episode uh, just another quick hit for you of hockey mountain high your go-to avalanche podcast so before we get out of here air anything else you want to throw out there uh that's about it for now uh keep your eye on milehighsports.com for more articles coming through i'm doing a lot of writing and podcasting this is a fun time to be a hockey fan fun time to be bringing out and uh, pumping out these podcasts for you and don't forget the actual first round of the playoffs literally begins in six days and that's crazy to me yeah and you know we're not doing our usual wrap-up because it's the mile high sports three stars of the week not of the episode we've already done three episodes in the last five days we're churning them out i love it so make sure if you love it to like comment subscribe we love hearing good feedback and you know if there's something you don't like about our show shoot it our way and we'll try to fix it for you if we agree so Again, thanks for listening. Hockey Mountain High, your go-to pod, uh, go-to Avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook. For Arif, I'm JJ. Hockey is for everyone, and we out you. Oh, yeah, and it's a pleasure and an honor. Oh.